abstract view of, we went on a journey with an abstract view of what evidence is. You know, often, and just to recap that so that you can move into where we are today, what Holy Spirit began to show me was some things about Steve so that you could relate to some things about you. And he showed me how growing up in my life there were things that were present in me that were very, um, could be viewed as an, a problem. Um, my mouth would get me in trouble. I shared that example, and my dad would say, son, your mouth is going to get you in trouble. You just, you got you to shut your mouth. It's always going to get you in trouble. And, and this was the thing that my dad would say. So I had gotten to the point, I'm, I'm putting things into a nutshell here, but I had gotten to the point where I, was, I didn't even want to talk anymore because I was afraid that every time I opened my mouth, it would get me in trouble. And then growing up, as I am today, there is a, I'm very much, uh, things have to be a certain way for, for me in my life. And when I look at these things, and, and grow, as a child, I would go to bed at night, and I would, even as a kid, I mean, I'm seven, eight, nine, ten years old, throughout my life, I would literally take my clothes the night before school, and I would get all my clothes out, and I would lay them on the floor. If they had a wrinkle, I was ironing those wrinkles out. I'm a kid. But it could not have a wrinkle anywhere. And, and I would put my shirt on the floor as though my body were wearing it. The arms would be out. My pants would be under the shirt. My socks and my shoes. I had to make sure it looked good. If it looked good on the floor, it might look good on me. And, and I would get, my family would give me a hard time about it. Oh, you know, that's, you don't, you, anyway, they would just give me a hard time about it. And it bothered me. But throughout my life, there's, there's even now, there's a, passion in me to get things right. I want things right. Um, I want things to be in its proper order. I, I want things that are out of order to come into order. So as I saw these things as a child that were problematic, because everyone made me feel like these things were problematic. Your mouth's going to get you in trouble. You'd be better off not speaking. You know, laying your clothes out like that is not a good thing. You know, it's just going to occupy your time and it's going to drive you nuts as you grow up. And I would see these things and, and it, all I could see them was, as was issues, was problems. And then as I began to grow older and I gave my heart to Christ and, and, and I began to preach and I began to minister. And once I came into ministry and then I was filled with the Spirit and, and I really began to see and Holy Spirit began to show me things about those places in me that seemed opposed to good, seemed opposed to being productive. And He began to show me how that was abstract. That's an abstract gift, but it is yet a gift. It is in you because I put it there. And those of you that know me know that over the years I've preached and I've said, listen, for anyone who doesn't like the way I preach or the personality that I have and the way that I deliver the message, that is on them. It isn't up to me to change how I preach to conform to what the people want. When the Father called me, He called me just like I am. And He knew that those abstract things that were seen as issues as a child were gifts that if refined and governed could be used for his glory. So that's what that was last week. It was talking about how what at one time is raw and ungoverned under the hand of God can become refined and 
matured to the place where it actually becomes the evidence that God is working in us. So I'm thankful for that. I no longer lay my clothes out at night, but I do every night know exactly what I'm wearing the next day. It's already there. It is there. So these things are good. But I want to jump into this week and what I want to talk about and evidence. And this week I want to talk about there being no shortcuts. Everybody say no shortcuts. Now, the world offers us so many ways to get to things at a quicker pace. Um, you know, the lottery is a very easy example of what, it, uh, what looks like a quick way to pay your bills, a quick way to get to wealth, whatever it might be. So they offer up this thing that looks, if you'll spend it, I don't even know how much they are because I, I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, so I don't know what they are. So I'm just going to say a dollar. So if you go into the store, I, I tell you this though, I do get tired of getting behind people that are trying to figure out which one they want. And, um, and sometimes that abstract evidence is tested while I'm standing behind them. Like, pick a card, would you? And... Um, so I know in my life, if I were a lottery guy, I would already know what I wanted when I got to the line. And I would say, I want that one, and these are the numbers. But everybody that's in front of me, they're up there, you know, I don't know. What do you think? You know, and then I turn around, what do you think? You know, five, six, 12, whatever. Anyway, drives me nuts. But the lottery, they'll spend a dollar hoping that somehow that dollar will turn into a million or a hundred thousand or whatever it might be. And they'll make this investment. And over time, they're probably spending more than they will ever get out of that lottery. But there's that quick return on that. So shortcuts are very prevalent in our lives. So much of what we do, the very nature of credit, financing, is a shortcut to owning something outright. When, it, it, when financing began to be a thing back in the early 20s, when people began to finance, banks began to finance homes and begin to finance cars, automobiles, farms, whatever it is they begin to finance, it was because they th saw this as an opportunity to take advantage of people who had not yet arrived at a place that they would get to if they saved, but they're going to provide a shortcut. It looks like a benefit to the user, the consumer, but in reality is a benefit to the bank because they're going to be charging you money. So there's all these shortcuts, and religion does the same thing. Religion has offered shortcuts over and over and over again to man and woman, mankind, to the church. It, and when I say religion, I'm talking about modern religion. We need to be clear. I'm talking about modern religion. I'm talking about modern-day religion. In modern religion, all, they offer all these shortcuts that are always trying to provide a way for you to get to a place quicker and easier. But the place they're trying to get you to conforms to their rules. Everybody say no shortcuts. The place modern religion is trying to get you to is a place that conforms to their rules and looks like them may not at all look like God. It might look like a rule abider, but it doesn't necessarily look like a God believer. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So when I think about if shortcuts were meant to be, again, the church world as a whole today will present us things and they will say to us, uh, and if I ever do this, stop me. But the church will, will present to us these pathways to a quick result. And they will say to us, especially Deuteronomy 28, if you hear and obey and yada, yada, and you, these blessings will come upon you. You get all these ideas and these thoughts of, you know, if I can do this quickly. So religion presents to us these paths. And then they say it will be like this immediately. And it isn't. If it were true that there were a quick remedy or a shortcut to the fullness of God, 
It would not have taken 33 years for Christ to redeem mankind. Listen to me. Modern religion wants you to think that Christ died on a cross and that was the death. When he breathed his first breath, he started dying. He never existed a single day on the planet that he was not aware of the outcome. He was already aware of what his purpose was before he even came to the earth, before he was sent. Christ was already aware of what his purpose was. That was, I'm going to redeem mankind. I am the spotless lamb. Mankind cannot be redeemed without me. I'm going to go to the earth from the time he went to the earth and he was born from the loins of the Virgin Mary. I'm going to tell you from that time going forward, there was a living and there was a dying. There was a process that had to take place over 33 years for him to be able to bring you and me to the place where we are today. You and I would not be who we are gathered together today, receiving the gospel, hearing the word of the Lord. We would not be doing that today if it were not for a 33-year dying that Christ did. Every day. Because he was all man and he was all God. So every day, Christ had to prepare himself and make sure that he did not give in, even though he was all man, did not give in to that man. But he demonstrated that he was more God than man. There were no shortcuts. If there were a shortcut, the father would have said to him, Son, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you down to the earth, and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a flash, you're going to redeem mankind. Because I don't really want you to go through the process. I don't want you to learn anything. I just want you to, in a moment, redeem mankind. It just didn't happen that way. So everybody say, no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom. Join with me in this morning as I read out of the First Testament, Proverbs 21.5. When you hear me in this house refer to the First Testament or Second Testament, it's because I don't like how we have addressed Scripture as Old Testament, New Testament. And I'll tell you why I don't like that. New insinuates that old is over. You get a new car, you throw out the old one. You get new shoes, you throw out the old ones. Some people get a new spouse, they throw out the old one. Not here. <laughs> But you get a new this, you get rid of the old that. But the truth is the old, what's considered the old or the first in Scripture is just as relevant as the second. It gives a different story. In fact, you cannot understand the second without first understanding why we needed it. And that is found in the first. So when we read out of Proverbs 21 in the First Testament, 21.5, it says this in the New Living Translation. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. These two words, prosperity and poverty, and their proper interpretation are, have very little to do with money. Very little to do with money. Let me read a little different. Good planning and hard work lead to joy. Good planning and hard work lead to fulfillment. Good planning and uh, hard work lead to hope realized. Yes. But hasty shortcuts lead to the opposite of that. So evidence, as you saw in the, the, the video earlier, it says evidence is the offspring of trust. So without trust, evidence is only a hope. Say this with me. Without trust, evidence is only a hope. Say it. Without trust, don't say it again, but evidence with, 
Without, without trust, evidence is only a hope. There's a scripture that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Again, the real true meaning of that is hope unrealized makes the heart weak. Hope that is unrealized makes the heart weak. I'm going to ask this question, but I'm not going to ask you to reply to it. I don't want a show of hands. I don't want you to nod your head or wink your eye or scratch your nose. I don't want to know. But I'm going to ask this question. How many of you have had hope and that hope was dashed? And because of that dashed hope, your heart fainted. Your heart has grown weak. It seemed like at one time that heart was beating strong for that hope. You had a vision. You had this, this thing in front of you, and, and you just wanted it, and you knew it was the purpose of God, but somehow you did not realize it like you thought you would. And because it was unrealized, the heart grew weak. I'm not asking for you to tell me, but how many have ever been there? Probably all of us have been to a place where there was something that we dreamed of, we had hoped for, and it just didn't come to pass. And because of that, our, hope, our heart grew weak. And when our heart grows weak, what happens? When our heart grows weak because of an unrealized hope, an unrealized dream, when our heart grows weak, suddenly we're looking for a quick way to fix that. We immediately try to find a fast way to fix it. Well, if I do this, I'm going to talk to somebody and I'm going to do, I can't pay my bills. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket for the first time. I'm using that. It's just random, but I'm using that. We try to find a way to fix that. What does the father do when we do this? He said, when we trust, evidence will always follow. When we trust him, evidence will always follow. So this past week, I started doing something that my family has wanted me to do for quite some time. I used to. Um, those of you that know me, I used to. As a, I'm, I'm, I'll be 57 in about a week and a half. And when I was up until the age of 20-ish, probably actually 19, when I pinched that nerve in my neck, um, I worked out diligently. I mean, every day I was working out, I was pumping iron, I was doing everything I could do to get into shape. I worked everything from the waist up. My legs never. If you could see my legs, you would be embarrassed for me. So while my upper body could take on a nice little form, my lower body took on nothing. And uh, so it is this walking on Q-tips. And um, so... That's the way that it was, and, and it didn't bother me because I really never wore shorts. I, would, I always wore long pants, so it never bothered me what you thought from the waist down until I went swimming, and um, then you just stay in the water waist deep. But my family has wanted me to begin working out again, and I've wanted to begin working out again, and my son, if you know my son, uh, one of my sons, Joshua, if you know him, you know that he is very much into uh, physical uh, uh, conditioning. He is very interested in, not just interested, it's a passion of his uh, to work out. He loves to work out. So he said, Dad, I'll train you. And um, two things come to mind when you hear him say, I'll train you. Two is, will I look like you? Uh, one is, will I look like you? And two is, how bad will it hurt? <laughs> And Gaston said to me yesterday, he said, he said, are you sore? I said, I am. He said, please don't try to get as big as Josh. I said, I'm flattered that you think I can. <laughs> but Josh said to me, he said, Dad, I'll train you. So I started working out with him earlier this week. 
and, and I went with him only three days. I don't, think, I don't think my body could take more of that this past week. But I went with him for three days. And what I found is, now I've always been the teacher. I've always been dad. I know you're my son. Listen to me and all will go well. <laughs> Suddenly, I've got my son saying, Dad, I'll train you. And I had to make a decision. One, I had to be willing to be trained by my boy. I had to be willing to be trained by another generation that might not see things like I did. He might not do it the way I did. He might bench press differently than me. Might look different. In fact, the weights are completely different than they used to be. It's like a whole new generation of weights. So I go into the little gym that he works out at or was working me out at. It's not a big enough gym for him. It's more than big enough for me. And we get in there and he says, let's start with this. And he takes me over to these to this machine and he's going to do triceps and he said this is how you do it and he says put your hand on here and I want you to do it just like this and he's telling me and suddenly this teacher has become a student and I'm looking at the little way it says to do it on the machine and it's not exactly like my teachers telling me to do it so wait a minute now they're doing it a little bit different than, than you're telling me I never said that to him because I had to make a decision I'm going to trust my teacher because there's evidence. Lots of evidence. <laughs> if you know my son. So I had, to, I had to say, I'm going to trust my teacher. I'm going to trust a sticker on the side of a machine. And it was a quick decision. I said, I'm going to trust my teacher. So he said, Dad, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab hold of this right here. It, th listen, the handle is like that long. My hand could go all over it. He said, right here. And told me right where to put my hands. And this is how you do it. And he said, now, when you go down, you're not, that cable cannot be crooked. He said, because it's cheating. And you're not going to get the form you're looking for if, you don't put, if that cable is not perfectly vertical. So you want to focus on your hand in the right spot. And when you're using that machine, make sure that cable is perfectly vertical the whole time you're doing it. And don't move your elbows. Listen, there's a lot of instruction that goes into this stuff. So I'm doing this thing, and then he's very careful about the weight because he knows his dad's a little older than him. So he's very careful about the weight that I'm doing, and he's paying very close attention to the details. And he realizes, and he knows what I'm learning about getting in shape. There are no shortcuts. It would be really easy to walk into the weight room and do that cable where it's, it's at an angle. And I would feel like it was doing something, but it might be doing the wrong muscle. If I'll do it right, even though it's not a shortcut, the evidence is going to show up. And then we get on another machine, and, and we're doing a bench press the other day, and I've, and I've got my fingers up there, and I grab a hold of the bar like I used to do. It's a free weight, and I grabbed hold of the bar in the same way I did when I was 19 years old. And, and he said, no, Dad. He said, you see those grooves on the bar? Yes. He said, your ring finger needs to wrap around the groove. What do I do? I grab hold of it, put my ring front finger on the groove. I think it's perfect. He takes my hand, and he opens my hand up, and he says, no, this is how you do it. You're going to put your ring finger, and then you're going to slide that hand around and slide it around so you have a good tight grip. I would have never thought of that. 
To me, it's, hey, quickest way to the bar. Grab the bar and go, baby. And do that. And then it gets worse or better. It depends on your perspective. I start doing this thing, and he says, I want you to do 12 repetitions. Four sets, 12 repetitions. Well, I start doing some of these weights, and I'm getting through there, and I'm getting to, like, number eight repetition. And I said, what if I can't do 12? He said, then you'll pause. You will do 12. (laughs) You might have to pause at number eight, but you will get to 12. And I'm thinking, wow, is that what I did as a father? (laughs) (laughs) You will take out the trash. It might take you three days, but you will take out the trash. So I grab hold of this thing's right, and I find myself pausing quite a bit. Twelve is a big number. And I'd do whatever I was doing, and I would get wherever I was, and I would pause for a minute, and I would get there. But I watched, and and I listened as he made sure that every action was done correctly. If my elbows were in the right place, on this one, should they be close? On this one, should they be far away? I can't raise my, <laughs> there's a, I can't raise my arms up all the way this morning. I'm sorry about that. I couldn't even put my microphone on my head yesterday for the service we had. Matt Hoffman had to come back there. and I can't, I can't, my hair behind my head hasn't been washed since Monday because I can't scrub it. And I'm just kidding. I've got a couple days off for healing. Pray for me. Point your hands. But he says, keep the cable straight, keep your arms vertical dead, ring finger on the slot, 12 repetitions, even if you have to rest between, there are no shortcuts, Dad. Because if you really want to get in shape and you want, the, you want to meet these goals, it's not going to happen by Friday. Right. <laughs> it might not even happen by the end of the year. I'm older than he is, so it takes longer for me to become the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) But in time, if I will stay the course, everybody say stay the course. course. In time, if I will stay the course, the evidence will come. And in time, if I can continue to allow myself to not feel like I have to be the only teacher in the room, but I can also be a student. If I can bring myself to get over myself, to humble myself and say, young man that is 30 years younger than me, I'm going to let you teach me. 33 years younger. Teach me. Show me how to overcome what might appear, because some of the things that I would have considered a shortcut or some of the things that I would have tried to do quickly, I wouldn't have seen them as a shortcut. Now hear what I'm about to tell you. Because grabbing the bar, I wouldn't have seen as a shortcut. I would have seen it as I did as grabbing the bar. I wasn't simply trying to hurry up and grab the bar. I was simply grabbing the bar to get to the exercise. But because there was a teacher in the room that knew more about holding the bar correctly... He helped me focus on, it's not about you getting to the point where you lift the weight off the rack. It's about getting, beginning correctly, and if you hold the bar correctly, lifting the weight off the rack will produce an evidence that you're searching for. Did you get what I said just now? 
So the focus wasn't on getting to what I thought was this is about lifting weights. For him, it's about technique. It's about fulfilling the process. It's about looking at the cable. I mean, how many times have I ever worked out in any way and I wasn't looking at the cable? I was just... And talking. I don't know if it's crooked, straight, or otherwise. Well, actually, for me, not many times because I don't do that. But some people do. But now when I'm on that thing, I'm doing this, and, I, and I'm making sure I'm watching that cable. Is that cable straight? Because my teacher said, keep the cable straight. Are you tracking with me this morning? If I want evidence, Christian, if I want evidence of what I'm allowing this young man to teach me, then I'm going to listen to this young man. No shortcuts. I want to read to you these scriptures out of Matthew 7, chapter 7. I want to read it out of two versions. I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version, then I'm going to read it also out of the message. And I want you to, you can follow along really easily. We'll have it on the screen, but you can also follow along on the Church Center app or the Holy Bible app. It's real easy. But I want to jump right into Matthew chapter 17 in the English Standard Version, and it says this, very familiar uh, passage. All of you have heard it at one time or another. Uh, whether correctly or incorrectly, I want to make sure and sort that out this morning. Matthew 7.13 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Now this word narrow is an interesting word in the Greek. It's a very interesting word. Let me tell you what that is. It's stenos or stenos. And it means closely defined path, following a closely defined path that God ordains to travel on to gain his approval. Make sure you understand that. That word narrow in the Greek means this, to follow a closely defined path. It is a closely, say it, closely defined path that God ordains. You don't have to say the rest. To travel on to gain his approval. Also in Greek, a gate represents authority and power all through scripture. When you see the word gate in the Greek, it means or it represents a place of authority or a place of power. So if I were going to take these proper interpretations, and I were going to insert them into this scripture, it would read something like this. Enter with authority on the path God ordains, and you will gain his approval and become his evidence. Did you get that? Well, just in case, we're going to do it one more time. It says, enter with authority. Enter with strength. Enter with authority on the path God ordains and you will gain his approval and you will become his evidence. Powerful. Powerful. I'm going to enter in. I want to be his evidence. I don't want shortcuts. I've got to enter into this thing on the path that the Father that Yahweh has ordained for me. What does this path look like? I don't want to look for the quick way. I don't want to look for the easy way. And it isn't about getting to heaven. This scripture has zero to do with heaven. No connection whatsoever. None. 
Nothing to do with heaven. It has everything to do with purpose being fulfilled. Why you were sent to the earth in the first place. And you were sent. None of you landed on this planet by accident. None of you arrived because he made a mistake. No matter how you got here, no matter how people told you you got here, you are here on purpose. Somebody, you need to hear that this morning. And there is an ordained path that the Father has for you to become His evidence. Listen, what God doesn't need in heaven is evidence. (laughs) You better get what I'm telling you right now. Let's interpret this scripture the way it was originally written. What God doesn't need in heaven is evidence. Everything in heaven is evidence. He doesn't need to prove to this one that this is of God or to that one that this is of God because it is. Where he needs evidence is in the earth. You need to hear me. Where he needs evidence is right here on this terra firma we walk on. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, in the message, it reads like this. Same verse, different, different uh, version. It says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. <laughs> don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. Let me read it again. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. And I say to you again, I remind you again, if shortcuts worked, Christ would not have spent 33 years making a way for you and me to know Yahweh. If shortcuts worked. So let me come back to this Comparison, because I want to help us to understand today why there might be people under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or you're watching online, why you feel like you're doing everything right. You, you, you are standing with authority. You are believing God to fulfill the hope that is in your heart. Um, and where there is, if your heart has grown weak, you're, you're still, you're trusting him. Father, help me. You're here, and you're under the sound of my voice. I want to help you today understand why maybe some of us have not yet become the evidence that we know we can be. And I want to tell you, I want to place blame where blame belongs. A lot of it is on the fault of the church. Much of the lack of evidence in the world today is the fault of the church. Again, I refer back to the song that I talked about. Fuchsia Pickett brought correction to us many years ago on and that simple song that was so powerful in our moment, it was revolutionized, became more powerful when we understood the true meaning, that the Father was not trying to draw us into him. He was trying to come out. He wasn't trying to get us into that place on his side of the veil. He wanted to come out of the veil. He didn't want to be put in that little box anymore. He wanted to come out. And that became real to us. In the same way, what hinders so many people today from becoming evidence is because they're trying so hard through religious means to become a demonstration of what God wants. When I got saved, you've heard this story before, but when I got saved in the church where I was saved, the night that I gave my heart to Christ, I was 20 years old, and the night that I gave my heart to Christ, when I walked into that back room before I could leave that back room, where I said the sinner's prayer with that youth pastor. Before I could leave that back room, they gave me a list of things to sign. These are the things, now that you're a believer, that you will not do. Sign this. 
paper. Here are the rules. You don't go to movies. You don't, do, you don't smoke cigarettes. You don't drink. You don't, you, all these things, you know, and it just went through all these rules. There's a long page that said, sign this paper. And if you sign this paper, then you are basically com- confirming that Christ really has changed you. Well, the problem was there's no shortcuts to maturity. So signing that paper was not going to be a spatial leap. And I've told you the story before, and I'll tell it again. There was a particular movie that I wanted to see, and I was determined I was going to see it. And they wouldn't let you go to movies. And I wouldn't sign it because I knew. And I said to them, no, there's a movie out at the theaters. It just came out yesterday. Let me see that, then I'll consider signing that thing. If God's really serious about saving my soul, he'll have to do that after the movie. Because I was determined I was going to see that movie. But it was my introduction into modern religion. It was my introduction that if you jump through these hoops, then you're really saved. It was my introduction into the reality that, and I remember uh, going to churches where when my wife and I were evangelizing and we went all up and down the East Coast and, and uh, the Midwest and as we would travel and we would preach and we would go to these different churches. I can't help but think back on the churches and one in particular where my daughter Kaylee was wearing a necklace and we went into this church and, and I was preaching and my wife got up to, to sing and she sang and, and then I got up there to to preach, and I introduced uh, Kaylee, and she was a little bitty, tiny thing. She's about four years old, and I introduced Kaylee, and this is my daughter, you know, and I was so proud of her just to have her up there with me and travel with us, and, and um, we go, and service is over, and, and it was like uh, suddenly it was quiet. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you the whole truth. The night before that service, they were so excited about us being there, they extended the meeting. It was powerful, a powerful evening, and they said, hey, can you guys stay extra? Yeah, we can stay extra. That was the night before. This night, I introduced my daughter, who happened to be wearing a necklace. I never thought to look around the church and see, does anyone, anybody wear jewelry in this place? The next morning, I get a call early at the hotel, and the pastor says, can you come to the church? And I come to the church, and he's got seven pages of notes why I'm antichrist. You brought your daughter up there, and she wears a necklace, and your wife has earrings on it, You're, you know. And I'm looking at this list, and he says, well, if, if you will recant... And if you will stand up in front of the people and you will apologize for doing that, then, then you can continue on, but you need to repent. And I just looked at him and I said, it ain't going to happen. We're out. I don't want anything to do with what you got because that is not happening. And we left. Never went back. And we were in several situations like that. Why am I saying all this? Because the evidence doesn't come because I don't wear a necklace. The evidence doesn't come because I wear the right clothes. Evidence doesn't come because I, do all, I wear the right shoes or I say the right things with my mouth. Evidence comes because I trust God. Religion has a hard time with trusting God. Religion trusts rules, modern religion. See, pure religion, true religion, pure and undefiled religion, James said in 127, James said, listen, I'm going to tell you what pure and undefiled religion is. It is when you visit the orphan and the widow and you keep yourself unstained from the world. But the problem with modern religion is when they see that part, keep yourself unstained from the world, they think that they have the authority to tell you what you can and can't do and give you a list of things that you've got to sign where all the while the kingdom of God is inviting you in and it's saying if you just come in here, you're going to find out that you're going to begin to change just because my presence is all around you. I've known a lot of people who lived by the rules but had no Christ. 
I've known too many people who could quote a thousand scriptures, but they had absolutely nothing to do with Christ. I've known people that were, they would sit before you and they would talk and they would impress you with their knowledge. But behind or in yourself, you're amused at their lack of spirit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now even in those, the invitation is there for them to become the evidence of God. But there are no shortcuts. I can't study enough to be closer to God than the guy that doesn't study at all. Are you hearing me today? I can't take off enough jewelry. I can't stop talking about whatever. There's nothing I'm going to do in the natural that I can do with my mind that is going to bring me closer to the Father. What brings me closer to the Father is me saying, I surrender all. Simply put, it isn't about me. I come to you flawed. I come to you with some Adam in me. I come to you with some things that don't look good, sound good, taste good, feel good. But nevertheless, I come to you. And he says, man, I can do something with that. Every time you stop trying, I'm just using some loose examples. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But every time we stop, I'm going to say we. Whether I'm a part of it or not, I'm include myself. Whether we use foul language, we drink too much, we smoke too much, we wear the wrong clothes, we find ourselves in the wrong places, all those decisions that we can make, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do this, and we do all of that in our mind, I'm going to tell you, when we make the decision in our head because we're trying to get rid of Adam, Adam will never leave. But when the power of the Holy Ghost inserts himself into a good and honest heart and is received, Donna, into a good and honest heart, when the power of the Holy Ghost is received into a good and honest heart, change will begin to happen. The things you were trying to decide not to do or to do suddenly are no longer decisions. You find that that becomes your life. That be, you, suddenly, there is an evidence. Suddenly, there is an evidence. I'm changing, and I didn't even know I was changing. I'm growing, and I didn't even know I was growing. It's like watching a child as they grow up with our granddaughter, and I can look at this little girl, and I can watch her, and even five weeks old, I can look and I can say, oh my goodness, the, the difference that she's changed, how much she's changed, and, and all that she is, and she just gets prettier every day. I know that some of you say, you're supposed to say that. Well, I'm going to tell you, the evidence is that that's what I see. <laughs> I see the glory of God. And this little girl. But I would compare modern religion to the Roman Colosseum. This is not, I'm not opposed to religion. I'm opposed to modern religion. I'm opposed to any idea that man has to put things together and title it. Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist. I'm opposed to anything that man wants to put a title on. And call it something specific. 
so that they can somehow allow themselves to believe that they are better than the rest. But I am very much a part of those who call themselves sons and daughters of God and very much receive what pure and undefiled religion is to minister to that widow. How can I minister to that widow? And while ministering to that widow, if I can serve the widow, the Father will serve me and I will become an evidence. You hearing me today? But if I were to compare, and I could compare modern religion to the Roman Colosseum. Believers are the gladiators who fight in it. And you start out as a prisoner and must win your freedom by going through a gauntlet of battles to win your crown. That's modern religion. I've got to just, if I could just do these rules. If I can just get through this day and I don't break any of these principles that they've put in front of me. Let me read it again. Believers are the gladiators who fight in the Colosseum. You start out a prisoner and you win your freedom by going through a gauntlet of battles in order to win your crown. But in the kingdom, listen to this. See, in religion, you start in bondage. And religion treats you like you're an infant. The moment you come into religion, suddenly you know nothing. You're just a baby. You don't know. That's not the kingdom. In the kingdom, you start free. And you begin with a crown on your head and a robe on your back and a ring on your finger. You can give it away, but you don't have to. Modern religion wants you to believe that you have to somehow earn this because you jump through all of their hoops and all of their ways and all of their until there's true evidence. Show us that you no longer are like this. And the father says, in the kingdom, he says, what I want to do is I want to say to you, son, come to me. Come to me. And when you come to me, I'm going to redeem you. And guess what? Suddenly, you're as smart as the smartest guy in the room. Suddenly, you have what so many have tried to get. You got in a moment because you know me. Now keep knowing me. And don't let anyone contaminate you with all the rules and the laws and the ways and call that evidence. Evidence is, when you get up in the morning, do you put your hands in the air and do you say to the Father, how can I honor you today? That's evidence. You know the difference between what the church offers and what God offers when you go to bed at night and you ask yourself, have I somehow sinned against God today? Do I feel the need before I go to bed every night to say, have I somehow sinned against you? And if I have, forgive me. Do you feel the need to do that every single night? Or do you ever go to bed at night? And when you go to bed at night, you say, Father, I know that in me, there are places you're still working on, but I want to celebrate the work that you are doing. I'm not going to bed weary over what I might have done wrong. I'm going and focused on what I might have done wrong. That's what religion does, focuses on all that's bad. But I'm going to bed focusing on what you can do with this imperfect person. I'm focusing on all that you can do that's right and good and cause me to become the evidence of the kingdom of God. There is a thing I want to share with you very quickly. I'm going to wrap this thing up. 
But the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the Greek Old Testament, Septuagint. If I took either of those and I put those in your hand and I said to you, read this and know God, you'd never know him because there's no power in it. There's no power in it. The power isn't in the thing you hold in your hand. It's in the spirit of what you hold in your hand wants to do in you by the word of God. There's so many different languages on the planet today. I wrote a few of these this morning. In Somalia, let me say these three words and you tell me if you know what they are. This is, I'm going to say a Somalian term, a Bosnian term, and then a Chinese term. The Somalian term is Saiz Masi. I had to look these up to figure out how to say it right. Saiz Masi. Bosnia is Isus Christ. In China, it's Yesu Jidu. What is that? Jesus Christ. But if I went to a Somalian and I took to him and I gave him the Chinese Bible, it would not do a thing for him. But that Bible would have to be written in such a way where they could understand it. No evidence could follow what was printed in man's language for them. But they had to see and they had to hear and they would have to witness in their own tongue the glory of God. Let's go back to the day of Pentecost. They would have to see it, they would have to hear it, and they would have to witness it. In the same way I've referred to when my wife and I went to the Solomon Islands on a missions trip. And when we got over there, we were told, be careful what you say if you talk about Scripture. Because if you go over there and you tell someone that Jesus lives in their heart, they will be offended. Because in the Solomon Islands, he doesn't live in their heart. He lives in their liver. The liver is the source of life. So the scripture that is translated into their language doesn't have heart in it anywhere. It has liver. Because that's the source of life to them. So if I took my Bible... And I went over to Solomon Islands and I handed that to them and I said, if you'll just read this by law, you can know Christ. If they read it, though, by law, they, first of all, they wouldn't. They'd burn it. First time they saw anything about it, they would be offended that Christ even dared talk about the heart. But if I said to them, I want to come to you in such a way where it isn't the letter or the law that allows you to become the evidence of God, but it's the relationship with the Christ that whatever translation brings to you refers to. That's what will allow you to become the evidence of the kingdom of God. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom. And yet, it isn't even difficult 
It's only difficult to us when we begin to plot out this course of things and, and what we have to do. And I've been in churches where you get saved and immediately they, they line you up and they say, okay, now you need to do this and you need to do this. And I just told you a story. I had to sign this. Or they wanted me to sign this thing. You got to do this. You got to do this. And when that's all done, then you'll really be saved. That is antichrist. Anything required of you or me that is outside saying, forgive me, I repent. And the Father saying, you're forgiven. Anything that requires more than that is the Antichrist. When we come to him, he's not looking for the evidence of how much we know. He's not looking for you or me to be his teacher and to remind him, but you said this. He's looking for you and I to come to him as a student and allow him to begin to reveal to us in his time and in his way. For one, it's very different than another. But what he's looking for is evidence. And there are no shortcuts to it. I can tell you the way to become his evidence is as simple as this. Receive Christ. Acknowledge, Father, without you, I am full of Adam. And I repent. But by receiving you, I'm believing today that you will begin to purge my mind, to purge my heart, to purge my spirit, and to change me to become the evidence you want me to be. Let my eyes see. Let my ears hear. And let my heart receive everything that you have for me today. I want to do something as I was pulling in this morning. Driving into the parking lot, Holy Spirit spoke something to me, and I want to say this to those in this room and those who are watching online. But he gave me a specific thing to say to you, and I spoke it into my iPhone as I drove in, and I wanted to say it exactly like he said it to me. But I want to extend an invitation to you today, whether you're in this room or not, reminding you there are no shortcuts to becoming the evidence of God. But don't mistake the journey as something that's going to take so long that you might not see it. You become the evidence the moment you receive Christ. You come in, as I said a moment ago, the moment you receive Christ, He crowns you, puts a robe on your back, and a ring on your finger. It's us trying to do it our way that begins to give those things away. But I want to extend an invitation to you today, and I'm going to say it exactly like he said it to me. I am not inviting you into religion, but I'm inviting you into the kingdom of God. And they are very much different. I am not inviting you into the kingdom. I'm inviting you into the kingdom of God, and it is there that you become the evidence of his glory. When I consider that shortcuts, maybe take a shortcut and it'll go this way, I can get there quicker. When I consider that there is a, something that I can do to get to a certain place in him quicker, I've removed him from being the source of change and made myself the source of change. So the very fact that we might consider the moment 
the thought comes to our mind, I can do this to know God. At that moment, we have to admit to ourselves, somehow I believe that I can do it without him. There are no shortcuts. I come into the kingdom believing that God would change me. And he would make me aware of those things that needed to be changed as they needed to be changed. And that's why in this house, if you could know every single person that's in this room or that is watching online today, if through the eyes of the natural, if through the eyes of the modern church, you were to have a conversation with people all throughout this room, so many of us would be judged so poorly and so sadly and so much against the truth. Well, I talked to this one and they're still doing that and I talked to that one and they still wear that and I talked to this one and they still go there and I talked to this one and they don't pray an hour a day and I talked to this one and they don't read enough scripture. So you know what? They're just, they're just in bad shape. But see, we don't do that here. You know why we don't do that here? Because when you receive Christ, you stand in the same place everyone else who's received Christ did. And you at that moment become the same evidence that everyone else who has received him has become. You don't have to work to become his evidence. You don't have to sign a document to become his evidence. You don't have to make human decisions to become his evidence. You allow him to work in you. And as he begins to work in you, he will begin to change you in ways you cannot imagine. I invite you today into the kingdom. Would you stand with me, please? Someone might be saying, wow, he, that was an attack on religion. No, it was an attack on modern religion. It was an attack on us not being able to become who we are. It's not an attack on true religion and pure religion. The words I bring to you today, the words I share with you today are for this purpose and this person, purpose only. It's to help you know. Stop. Stop trying to get to God. He's right where you are. Stop fighting to get to where he is when he's standing right in front of you. He knows you. He wants you to know him. He knows where you are. He wants you to know where he is. You can today. Father, I lift my voice over the people that can hear it today, in this room or online. There are people in this room that know very little of you. There are people watching online that may not know you at all. There are people in here that have walked with you for many, many years. My hope and my prayer is that none of us Believe we're better than another because of the time or lack of time spent with you. But instead we see ourselves as sons of God. We see ourselves today as the anointed of God to change the earth and to be evidence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will minister to the heart and to the mind. Reframe minds today. May revelation come today to every man, to every woman. Every person hearing today, here or beyond, may they hear today your word, Holy Spirit. Father, we honor you. There are no shortcuts 
to becoming your evidence. There doesn't need to be because evidence follows repentance. I bless you today, Father. I thank you today for being such a faithful, faithful, faithful God. I thank you that you did send Christ. And he did dwell among us. He did give his all. He did come out of the grave. He does sit at your right hand interceding for every single person today. Whatever clings to any of us that hinders us from entering into the fullness of the kingdom of God. Today, Father, do your work. In Jesus' name.